The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. So we just finished Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. What does it mean to have full atonement through the blood of Yeshua, the Messiah? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you on this thoroughly Jewish Thursday. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. 866-348-7884. That's the number to call. Any Jewish-related question you have of any kind, we'll be glad to take your call. You may agree with me, excuse me, you may disagree, but we'll be delighted to take your call as long as it's Jewish-related, all right? 866-34-TRUTH. A reminder to visit our Real Messiah website. Uh, you will find this tremendously helpful. You can watch debates I've had with rabbis. You can see a whole series that we have put out demolishing the misinformation of, of counter-missionary rabbi Tovia Singer. Uh, you can look for your most common questions, biblical, theological, other questions like that, and get them all answered. So you'll get a lot of really, really helpful material for you there at realmessiah.com, or just go to askdrbrown.org and you click on our Jewish material there. It's free. There's a ton of, of, of healthy resources waiting for you there that will answer so many of the questions that you have, and it's our delight to get them out to the widest possible audience. All right, so Yom Kippur is just finished now on the traditional Jewish calendar, and uh it is a time of Jewish people in synagogues fasting for 24 hours, praying for many hours, confessing sins corporately. And it's a time when even non-religious Jews will often go to the synagogue. It'll often be a time of, of, um, of fasting for them, even though they're not in synagogue, they're not religious the rest of the time. Uh, so it's, it's a time of sobriety. It's a time of soul searching. It's a time when religious Jews give themselves to repentance even more deeply. And it's a great time for those of us who know the Messiah and have received forgiveness through him to be praying for our Jewish friends that God would open their hearts, their minds to forgiveness through the Messiah's blood. Now, let me be as plain and straight as I can be. Because I believe that salvation comes through the Messiah alone, that outside of him we all fall short, that outside of him, our sins cannot be adequately paid for. That outside of him, on our best day, we still fall short of God's holiness and justice. Therefore, I believe that Jews and Gentiles who have rejected Yeshua are lost. That they are under God's judgment and lost. And therefore, I will say to all of them, you need God's mercy through the Messiah. You need to turn from your sin and repentance and receive forgiveness through him. At the same time, I am not any individual's judge. God alone is the judge. I do not sit on the judgment throne. I do not decide who gets in and who gets out. Uh, Wish related question of any kind. 
It can be about the modern state of Israel. It can be about rabbinic literature. It can be about the Hebrew Bible. It can be about messianic prophecy. As long as it's Jewish related, dealing with anti-Semitic issues, 866-348-7884. That is the number to call as we broadcast again from our Dallas studio at Christ for the Nations. Uh, We will talk a little bit about the war in Ukraine once again heavy on all of our hearts when you have this human suffering right in front of your eyes and you think of the unimaginable hell that people are living through and all for what? On every level, it seems to be unnecessary and and unprovoked. We will talk about that as it intersects with Israel and the Jewish people. But I want to focus on a different area first, and that of counter-missionary misrepresentation and lies. I have worked with, interacted with rabbis for years who are men of integrity, who seek to be honest, who seek to be careful in what they communicate. Obviously, we have very deep and profound differences, and some of them are known as counter-missionary rabbis, and I am not speaking about them. I'm not speaking in generalized terms, but in specific terms about others that we have called out and exposed before, like Rabbi Tovia Singer, or some others that we'll mention today. And I, I fully get it. I totally get it. As a Jewish believer in Jesus, as one who has written extensively on the history of anti-Semitism in the church, as one who understands the perception, especially in traditional Jewish circles, that Christians or Christianity is directly responsible for the Holocaust, I understand the mentality that even says Hitler wanted our bodies, but you want our souls. I understand how deeply there can be a rejection of Jesus, at least as he's understood by these traditional Jews. I fully get it that someone like me, I'm looked at as an apostate of the worst kind. They would say I'm a a child that was born in captivity, meaning I didn't grow up in a traditional Jewish home. Therefore, I was more easily picked off. I didn't have the right upbringing. That's their perception. So I'm not as culpable as someone that was a traditional Jew that then became a follower of Yeshua. So I get it. I understand the opposition. I understand the hatred. I understand the concern. I understand the fear. What I'm drawing attention to is when counter-missionary organizations and, and people like Rabbi Singer will bring these exaggerated and ridiculous charges that then, oh, these evil missionaries, oh, what are they trying to do next? For example, when God TV was going to be broadcasting on an Israeli cable channel, so this was going to be the first ever Hebrew gospel station within Israel, TV network within Israel. Sid Roth owns Middle East TV, which broadcasts on cable in Israel, and there's content in English with Hebrew uh, subtitles and things like this. But this was going to be fully in Hebrew, and Israelis reaching Israelis from within Israel. Israel. It's going to be a first. And, and Ward Simpson, uh, one of my dear colleagues, made an announcement that we're going to reach everyone in Israel. We want to reach all, all X number of millions in Israel. Now, he was not thinking as he said that, well, wait a second, a certain amount are underage here. Because they weren't targeting kids. None of the programming is targeting kids. 
None of, none of the programming that was on the station is now on Shalano TV uh, on, on the Internet because uh, under government pressure and pressure from counter-missionaries, that, that station had to drop the contract that they had with God TV. And Ward felt, hey, we love Israel. We don't want to start a fight, make Israel look bad, so we'll just back off and we'll go digital uh, only, which they've done, and, and it's reaching Israelis, thank God. But Rabbi Singer posted, said, look, they're going after children because he said all the people. He was talking to we want to reach everybody in Israel. Men, women, we want to reach Arab, Jew, we want to reach everybody we can reach in Israel. He wasn't talking about kids, and, and there's no children's programming on it. And Israeli believers in the land know full well that you're not allowed to proselytize a minor. If you want to invite a minor to a youth event, you get that minor to get parental position, uh, permission. Otherwise, they don't come. All right, so that, that's fully understood. Fully understood. But Rabbi Singer makes it like, <gasps> they're coming for your children. And then what do you hear? They target the elderly. They target the Holocaust survivors, which, of course, is 100% false. We reach out to whoever we can reach out to, and we don't ignore an elderly person. We don't ignore a Holocaust survivor. Oh, because you're a Holocaust survivor and you're an atheist now, but because you're a Holocaust survivor, we shouldn't share the good news with you. What? Oh, because you're elderly and there's no one to visit you or help you with your budget and food, we should ignore you and let you suffer. No, we'll reach everyone. But the idea we target the elderly, target Holocaust survivors, it's complete nonsense. This is the world I live in. I, I know all the major Jewish outreach organizations, virtually all of them around the world. I work with many of them closely. Nobody is tar- going to target the elderly, target the vulnerable, target the children. So now... You have these stories as as Ukrainian Jews are fleeing Ukraine. So there are ministries that I work with. The whole thing they do is humanitarian help. That's the whole thing they do. They they help in the humanitarian way. They raise funds to help needy Jews in the land and other needy to be Arab Christians in the land. Perfectly righteously. That's why there are some Jewish traditions. There are some Jewish traditions that state that in the world to come, the only offerings that will exist will be, will be uh, Thanksgiving offerings. Yeah, so it's, it's a very, very interesting concept. For sure, we believe that God writes his law on our hearts as followers of Jesus. So we receive a new nature through the new birth, and through that new nature, it is now natural for us to do what's right. We, we now hate what is evil. We now love what is good, but we're in a transition age. The new covenant has been inaugurated, but it's not been fully realized. So we experience this change. We experience this forgiveness. We know what it is to have the guilt removed supernaturally. I mean, how many of that did it happen to you when you were born again, that the burden of guilt you had been under, that sense of not being in right, right relationship with God, it, it, it disappeared. It was, it was gone. And, and not gone in a way that, okay, a month later you have to do it again, and a year later you have to do it again. No, it was, it was gone, and you're in right relationship with God. The forgiveness we receive now is forgiveness we receive in an ongoing way in our relationship with the Lord. The analogy of John 13 with, with Jesus is that it's like going to bathe yourself in the river or in the public bathhouse because you didn't have you know, showers and baths in your own home with running water. So you go there, you bathe, and then you walk home with your sandals or barefoot. When you get home, your feet are dirty. 
You don't need to go bathe all again because you've already been cleansed, but your, your feet are dirty. So you wash your feet. You have a bucket of water to wash your feet or a slave would, would wash your feet. So in the same way, when we are forgiven, it is a once and for all forgiveness we receive through the Messiah. And it changes our, our very conscious, uh, conscience and consciousness in terms of our relationship with God. It is transformed. That's what happens. But as we walk in this world, our feet still get dirty, so we come for cleansing. But there is a once and for all atonement we have received. And with it, a desire to serve God that wasn't there before, a nature that wants to honor God that wasn't there before, a power to say no to sin that wasn't there before. That's the reality of the new covenant, but we are in the stages where it is still in transition until all of Israel comes into this and we see the fullness of what was promised. All right, we're going to get into Hebrews 9 when we come back. You can call 866-348-7884. Any Jewish-related questions, we warmly welcome. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. On the Line of Fire broadcast, Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. 866 866- 348-7884. Any Jewish-related question of any kind, phone lines are open, and it's my joy to take your call. All right. Uh, I want to get into Hebrews 9 now, all right? Hebrews chapter 9. And we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, Origen in the second century said God knows, so that early in the church, even though it was accepted and revered, uh, there was debate as to who wrote it. And Paul, Luke, Apollos, all kinds of different theories to this day. But we don't know. You say, what's your opinion? I have no opinion on it. If people who have studied this for decades and who know the Greek of, of Hebrews like the back of their hand and have looked at all the arguments, they're not sure. Number one, I don't have an opinion on it. Number two, my opinion would not be worth anything. Now, if I felt the Lord gave me some insights that I could then prove academically, and in, oh, that's one thing, but nope. So I don't, I don't know who wrote it. <clears throat> All right, so Hebrews 9.1 says this. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. <laughs> Excuse me. I've been just, uh, hey, if we can grab the callers coming in, truth, just not seeing that on my screen here. That would be awesome. Um, so it says this. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It was called the holy place. Beyond the second curtain was the second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot speak now in detail these preparations have thus been made having thus been made the priests go regularly 
into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without blood. So, so look at this. There's a major point that we should get from this, all right? Not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. <clears throat> now, what's the point of this? By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is standing. So let me just step back from this for a moment and say this, that the writer of Hebrews is saying, as long as you had this system where, where you had this, this holy place and you couldn't go in, in the most holy place, you can go in without blood. And once you, so the Holy Spirit's giving a message through this, that this access to the holiest presence of God has not yet been opened. It, it, it is every year something that's being preached and proclaimed. Hey, let me just deal with one little technical issue to our truth team. It seems that we are not getting our phone calls answered. We've got a bunch of people on hold that are not getting their calls answered. I'm not sure what happened, so I apologize. Uh, we are asking to call. I see all the lines ringing and people on hold, but I don't see anyone taking the calls. So if you hear my voice on the phone there, just stay there. I have no clue what happened. Never had this happen in 13, 14 years of radio. But we'll get this, we'll get this sorted out, and we will, we will get to your calls shortly. So my, my apologies. I, I hate to distract you with that, but I'm looking at my screen and thinking, okay, nobody's there answering your calls and telling me what's happening. So either something's wrong with my screen or something's wrong in our studio. So my apologies. If you're on, if you hear me on hold, stay there, and we will get to you shortly. Anyway, mystery of mysteries. <clears throat> Let me continue. So by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. So what it's, what it's ultimately saying is, is this, that even though you go through the rituals and they did affect your standing with God, it was under Torah law, it couldn't transform you on the inside. It couldn't deal ultimately with your conscience. And, and still you have this intermediary that can go into the holiest place of all, but, but you can't get in there. All right, so uh, it, it's, it's a fascinating picture that's being painted here. Now, here's the contrast. So for my traditional Jewish friends listening, here's the contrast. But when Messiah appeared... As a high priest of the good things that have come or that are coming, there are different readings there. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 
So there is a difference between the blood of an animal and the blood of the Messiah. The blood of the animal ultimately pointed towards the blood of the Messiah. For if the blood of goats and bulls, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. So this was a ritual to cleanse you outwardly. How much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That something happens to our inner being through what the Messiah did. Now it continues. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Uh, verse 23. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Messiah has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For when he would have had, then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as is it appointed, for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We're going to continue into the 10th chapter. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. <clears throat> so what's the point here? That the, the blood sacrifices, the atonement system under, under the law, had its purpose, had its place, for national Israel and for individual Israelites. But it could not do what the Messiah has done. So when I come to God for forgiveness, I come as a person who is already saved and forgiven and in right relationship with God through the cross, meaning I'm not getting saved over and over again. I do not need an annual day of atonement for me individually or for the body of Messiah corporately, we do not need that because we have received once for all atonement. We could potentially reject that, walk away from it and deny him and forfeit that grace. But as his followers, when we fall short, it's not save me from my sin again. It's not grant me atonement again. No, it's as people who have been washed head to toe, who have been forgiven, who have been declared righteous by God, saying, Father, forgive me, I sinned. Lord, I was harsh toward that person. Lord, I thought a thought that was wrong. Lord, I let you down. I gave way to fear and I didn't witness. Forgive me, cleanse me. It is the loving conviction of the spirit to someone who is already declared righteous by God. It is not the forgiveness of salvation. 
It is relational forgiveness in our ongoing walk with him. And that happens through the day. And that's part of our cleansing and washing. But it is as people whose names are already written in the Lamb's Book of Life, as people who know if we die, we'd be with him forever, as people who have that deep assurance to the point that you can go to Christian funerals and find a hope there that you won't find in other places, especially with an older believer who's lived his or her life out, even rejoicing and celebration because of the reality of this assurance that we have, not because of what we've done but because of what Messiah has done. All right, we come back. We will go to your calls, 866-348-7884, the number to call. Have you signed up for the Israel tour yet? Have you? There's still seats available, but don't know how long there'll be seats available. Now's the time to get online, sign up. So go to askdrbrown.org for information. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. It is thoroughly Jewish Thursday. We've got a Jewish-related question. I apologize to those who were calling in and not getting through I'm still not sure what exactly happened, but glad that at least we are, have fixed the problem. So feel free to call in if you tried to call before and your call did not get answered. 866-348-7884. So long as it's Jewish related, it's good for today. I'm going to make it an exception. This is not a Jewish related question, but I'm going to make an exception. You'll see why in a moment. Uh, Rachel, in, Rachel's gone. All right, I was ready to answer Rachel's question. So I'm, I'm going to tell you what her question was. Uh, <clears throat> question was this. Why do I have demonic music playing at the beginning of my segments? <laughs> In other words, skillet. It's because it's not demonic music. It's because it is music by a godly band that loves the Lord. Uh, led by John Cooper, who has been an unflinching witness for Jesus in the public stage for many years and has become really a prophetic voice in many ways, speaking the truth to the nation and even as they travel worldwide without flinching, without compromise. Uh, John and I have become very good friends. We're often in contact. It can be, you know, multiple texts in a week back and forth on different things. John's devoured a number of the books that I've written been on his podcast and we've talked very very candidly actually a couple times been on and it's just a matter of me scheduling i I wanted to get all of skillet on at the same time just to do something unique on the broadcast because of our friendship and uh, every new book i write i send uh, one copy to john and his wife corey and then one copy to seth and one copy to jen so that ladies books i'm putting their hands so i believe in them what they're doing the message they're putting out and I recognize the different styles of music. I fully recognize that. And in some of our ears, some music may sound hard or harsh or demonic or wrong. A lot of that is really cultural. A lot of it's cultural. Let me give you an example. 
So I've been to India now uh, 27 trips, 27 times to India, God willing, going 28th time in December. And the very first time going there, uh, my wife Nancy and I, with uh, three friends, so uh, ministry colleagues and a friend, so we travel over there, and from leaving our home to getting to the final destination, I think it was about 44 hours. And <laughs> I won't go into the entire trip and everything about it, but, but uh, it, 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 was, it was a long journey. Now, I'd only known Yesu Padam a little bit. Now we're dear close friends. He's one of my closest friends on the planet and has been for years and the truest Christian that I know on the planet in terms of seeing his life and seeing how he's conducted himself in the ministry and what they've done and how God's blessed it in such an extraordinary way. So we only knew him a little <laughs> at that time. He'd come to see me in Maryland. He'd read some of my books. He had been part of a prayer meeting while I was out of town and prayed for hours with folks. And they, they really vouched for his heart. I felt good meeting with him, his heart for the Lord, his heart for revival. Uh, but I didn't know him well. So we go over there. After all the travel, we finally get to the first meeting, and it's under a tent. It's raining, and, and we listen to the music, and oh, no, it's, it's demonic. It's like the type of stuff you hear. and I mean, it sounds like Hindu stuff. It was... And Nancy and I looked at each other. We thought, oh, this poor guy, Yesu Panam, he's trying, probably trying to do outreach, but he just doesn't you know, know that you don't blend this stuff. You don't bring in the demonic stuff. Now, Nancy's very discerning. She didn't say, like, God told her. But we just both thought the same thing, same thing. This is demonic. There's nothing demonic about it. There's nothing Hindu about it. It was Indian music. But to our ears, the only association with it was Hinduism and Eastern religion, and, and those types of sounds that accompanied it. But in fact, it was just Indian music. And because so many Indians are Hindus, that's what the Hindu music sounds like, because it's Indian music. But that's also what the Christian music sounded like, because they were Indian Christians. But to me, I thought, oh no, it's demonic. We're going to have to overcome this. <laughs> Actually, when we heard some of the words, they were whoa, that's what you're singing? That's glorious. That's beautiful. That's incredible. Wow, that's powerful. We had no idea. So the same way we may hear certain sounds, and that's demonic, a lot of it's cultural. And knowing Skillet, knowing John Cooper, knowing the message they put out, it's, it's in harmony with that message that we have it on the radio every day. And I really felt the Lord dropped that in my heart as we were praying about new music and a new intro We've been planning on doing that for some time, and we're getting a few of the things in order. Our, our completely revamped studio. I'm, I'm, I'm on the road now in, in Fort Worth from our studio here at Mercy Culture, uh, but our home studio, we were completely revamping. And I, as I was praying and thinking, that song came to mind, and I thought, started here, ended here. And then when we read the introduction, it's like, it fit perfectly, fit like a glove. And then the Lord really arranged it. So I'm, I'm blessed and privileged to have it on. And we hear from lots of people who love Skillet. I mean, they've had several billion downloads of their material online. They're, they're popular and, and have been a, life, a lifeline for many with their message. So uh, good song, good message, good people. But if it's not your style, fine. Just don't call it demonic. That would be, be wrong. All right. Uh, with that, let us go to 
uh, Solomon in Iowa. Welcome to the line of fire. Thanks for calling. Yes, uh, Dr. Mike, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, you are actually a reason for me to go back to from uh, being... uh, I'm from Eritrea, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, I was lost. uh, I don't know. uh, From my childhood, there was a problem in... uh, uh, I I don't know if it was uh, somebody or triggered or if it was me. I don't think it was, it could be me. I, I don't know. I couldn't say either way. But I was uh, in the last, strong last, and uh, it's been part of me for ages. I don't know. I It starts away back to the, my childhood. So there was, it, in my conscience, I never thought I was doing wrong. I thought it was my nature. Wow. Uh, and... Uh, so I lived with that in my life, and uh, and the other part, uh, I was. Uh, I'm thankful to God that I had a good family. That I wasn't. I was okay person as a person. I wasn't. Uh, they had a good discipline on me. But that part, I I thought it was part of me, and uh, I lived that with my life. Uh, and uh, then I I met somebody. I encountered somebody in my life, and. I believed him. It wasn't intentional, but it, now when I look it back, it looks like I worshipped him. So things changed in my life. I become like him, and I thought he was a good person. And that hey, hey just just one question. I, I hate yeah, I hate to interrupt. I know there was a question that you had wanted to ask me. So I, I know your yeah, your story is very interesting part. here, okay, but yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go to the juice part. It, the, okay. Some juice make me doubt. Jesus is not the Messiah. I mean, the reasoning he bring, I are they, uh, are they not uh, misinformed? I mean, are they misinformed or are they intentionally relating this because of what happened to them in the name of Christianity? Is it more of not because of being a victim of the Christianity? I mean, it's not right. So Christian as as far as yeah, as far as Jews yeah. not believing in Jesus, church history has played a negative part, for sure, of course. Yeah. When the church mistreated Jewish people, persecuted Jewish people, discriminated against Jewish people, uh, in the most extreme cases offered them baptism or death, of course, that has driven Jews away from Jesus. Why should they believe in a religion like that or a person like that? But the truth be told, before there was such a thing as church history, when Yeshua was on the earth himself, the Messiah, that the, the nation as a whole, the leadership rejected him. Many Jews individually followed him, but the national leadership rejected him. This has been a pattern through our history, unfortunately. I mean, think of Moses, gives the Ten Commandments, right, on Mount Sinai, goes up to be with the Lord for 40 days. Before he comes down, the nation has turned to idol worship. Before he comes down, and that entire generation 20 years old and more aside from joshua and caleb they all died in the wilderness and then when you go through jewish history so they serve the lord through joshua and the elders there and then fall away again and then god raises up a king the first king's no good by the time you get to the the fourth king so saul david solomon rehoboam the the nation split then the 10 northern tribes go into exile and are scattered around the world 
and then the southern tribes go into exile, the temple destroyed, then brought back, then temple rebuilt, and then rejected the Messiah, then, the, then temple destroyed, people scattered. So we've been rejecting God and his servants, the prophets, and his laws for centuries, unfortunately. So it was, it was no surprise that we rejected the Messiah. And the prophetic passages like Isaiah 49 and Isaiah uh, 50, and Isaiah 53 indicated that the Messiah would be rejected by his own people and yet become a light to the world. So once you reject him and now you have a, a, a complete system built without him, and now that the, the, those that follow him get detached from their Jewish roots, become more and more foreign to Jewish things, and then the, the religion of Christendom becomes destructive to Jewish people in certain ways. It's understandable why they don't believe, but the actual objections, as you know, they all have answers. We've answered them. Others have answered them for years and years and years. You can go to all the yeah. main objections that Jews raise against Jesus being the Messiah. Go to our Real Messiah website, realmessiah.com, and you'll get all the major ones answered right there. And then we have five volumes of material that answer in, in, in greater depth. So all the objections yeah, but- have been answered. Uh, they're just things that have built up over yeah, the years as to why Jews don't believe. Actually, yeah. The other parts are actually, they, I, I don't know. For example, they say the whole world will believe in God. So nobody did the way Jesus did. He vanity to God. So that is, uh, I don't know, it's a contradiction. I don't know what they, they can't see it that way. I mean, that's uh, fully happened. So the only thing that uh, I want to know is, was the Messiah supposed to be God? Yes, so so we'll we'll answer that on the other side of the break and get to some more questions. 866-34-TRUTH. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. The one who brings peace in the heavens will bring peace upon us. 866-34-TRUTH with your Jewish-related calls. This is Michael Brown. So, Solomon, your last question, was the Messiah expected to be God? I don't believe that that was an overt expectation that was clearly laid out in the Hebrew Bible. There were hints at it. There were suggestions. But what does that even mean, the Messiah is God? Does that mean he's the Father? Does that mean he's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? If the Messiah is God, does that mean that God is no longer in heaven? So even... When, when Jesus was on the earth, he didn't just walk around saying, I'm God, because it's easily misunderstood. He is the word made flesh. The, the son takes on human form. And I can find support for that in the Hebrew Bible. I can find examples of God walking among us like Genesis 18 while still remaining God eternal in heaven. Or I can point to Isaiah 9.6 in Hebrew, nine, excuse me, 9.6 in English, 9.5 in Hebrew. That, that speaks of the, the Messianic King being El Gibor, Mighty God. 
Or I can go to Psalm 45, 7, where it says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. But it's speaking about the king, who here is a type of the Messiah, who is then anointed by God. So <clears throat> this, this is what we get in the fullness of time, this revelation. So can I show it from the Hebrew Scriptures? Yes. Was this a major expectation? No, because it would be misunderstood. I would just say this, though. Isaiah 59, 20, and the Redeemer will come to Zion. Uvalet Sion Goel. The Redeemer will come to Zion. That many rabbinic interpreters understand that the Redeemer is the Messiah. And yet, if you will go through the book of Isaiah, the Redeemer is always God. So it's very interesting that in that passage, <coughs> that there is a specific reference to the Redeemer coming, and rabbinic interpretation largely seeing this as referring to the Messiah. All right, back to the phones with Gilbert. Welcome to the line of fire. Yes, how you doing, uh, Mike? All right. Yes, I'm from Richmond, Virginia, and um, I listen to your <laughs> radio show quite a bit. And um, I, my, I guess my question is, I guess I just um, asked about the Sabbath, the seven-day Sabbath. And um, I guess I'm a Sabbath keeper, but I'm not, you know, necessarily a seven-day seven day exemptive. Got it. So and, excuse me one second. <coughs> Folks, I apologize. I've been dealing with allergies for a couple of days. And suddenly, um, I'm struggling with my voice here. So, Gilbert, go to my website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, <coughs> and type in Sabbath. Truth, if you could rev up a backup program, just because for the first time in all these years of broadcasting, where I'm dealing with my allergies, it has got me coughing, and rather than folks listening to a few more minutes of coughing, if you could put up a backup show and begin to run it, I am going to fade out in a moment. And for those watching on live stream, my profound apologies. But hey, uh, whatever happened, we'll be back to normal momentarily. And with that, Gilbert, my apologies. Go to AskDrBrown.org, type in Sabbath. I've talked about this a lot. You'll find some very helpful teaching. I profoundly apologize for the weakness. Well, hang on, hang on. We're making a comeback, right? Is this, is this something positive or what? My voice is making a comeback. So we'll, we'll go a little, a little bit longer. So Gilbert, uh, I do not believe that Seventh-day Sabbath keeping is mandatory in the New Testament. I do not believe that seventh-day Sabbath-keeping is a mandatory commandment in the, seventh, in the New Covenant. I believe you are free to do it. I believe that the Sabbath was not officially changed by Jesus from the seventh day to the eighth day, meaning the first day of the week. That did become a widespread tradition in the church to celebrate his resurrection on the day of his resurrection, early in the morning or later in the day on a Sunday. And then, over a period of time, the church shifted things centuries later and said, officially, 
that the Sabbath is now Sunday, but that's not in the Bible. If you're part of that church tradition and you respect that, fine, but it's not in the Bible. All right, to say it's mandatory, though, that Gentile Christians observe the seventh-day Sabbath, that is not scriptural either. That is not scriptural. Nowhere is that laid out as a command. So you are free to do it. You're free to do it, but, but, it is not a New Testament command. So that's my answer, but take a moment and go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, click in Sabbath. Hey, thank you so much for the call. All right. <clears throat> I have not been entirely sure if I was just uh, dealing with some allergies the last few days. I used to get really bad hay fever, and I used to be so sensitive to pollen that if I ate an apple, I actually had an allergic reaction. I remember I was in Italy one time, and they were just giving out apples to folks, and you get a lot of fresh produce in Italy. And they gave me one, and I, I started eating it. And next thing, I had a breakout, you know, allergic breakout. I don't mean anything severe, but I mean the watery eyes. I mean the sneezing. I mean the scratchy throat. I thought, what in the world? That just happened with an apple. Well, sometime after that, got online and read. It's like, oh, apples with pollen and so on, it can, it can happen. Now I eat probably on average three apples a day. So it, it's, it's all gone away for years. And most of the hay fever has gone away. <laughs> I, I remember, though, Nancy wanted to test. She didn't think it would have an effect. And so she insisted on testing. And I said, all right, all right, fine. So I ate a small piece of an apple, and minutes later, I'm having the allergic reaction. I said, thanks a lot, hon. I appreciate that. But um, it can be every so often in the spring or in the fall, uh, if, uh, if hay fever is bad or pollen's bad, I'll get a little affected. So I didn't know if it was that or if I was just fighting off a little bit of a cold coming back from overseas. But whatever happened that produced that momentary crisis it was no big deal. It's just miserable for all of you on radio. And normally, I would not do what I did and just reach down and get a glass of water on the stream. But hey, this is, this is reality. So for those of you that just felt to pray for me, thank you. But there's no big deal. There's nothing urgent. And we will just be very vigilant to make sure we have clear voice, especially tomorrow because I teach two hours in the morning and then do radio, and then preach at night, and then two more times on Saturday, then once on Sunday, and then schedule, let's see, to teach Monday morning, do radio Monday afternoon, do a staff Q&A at Christ for the Nations after that, teach Tuesday morning, then record a TV show Tuesday afternoon, and teach Wednesday morning and do radio and fly home. So uh, I get to rest my voice in between things, but appreciate your patience, and I so apologize for marring a radio broadcast with coughing and things like that. Do my best to make sure that doesn't happen, but clearly we didn't have to cut out and substitute other music. All right, so a couple of, a couple of closing thoughts. Do you know, as we started talking about atonement, do you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you know that if you were to die right now, you go into God's presence? You can know. 
You say, but, but am I going to be perfect? No, you're not going to be perfect. And, and salvation is not a license to sin. I, I just posted what A.W. Tozer said. I, it's a quote I'd come up with on my own as well. But, but that, that the gospel gives us freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. We're saved from sin to holiness. Forgiveness comes with a separation from sin so that we now live for God. But we're not perfect in this world. But our heart is now set to please and honor God. You can know for sure that your sins have been forgiven. I live knowing 24-7 that I'm loved by God and that I am his son, that if I was to die at this moment, I would go straight into his presence and that my sins are forgiven, even though I know that at my best moment, I still fall short of his perfection and glory. At my best moment, I, I still need grace. And that every day there is cleansing going on that I'm not even aware of that I'm being cleansed and washed afresh. But I know that I know that I have received that once for all atonement, that the guilt has been removed. It is not something I'm longing for, or waiting for, <coughs> excuse me, I'm longing for the fullness. I'm longing for the, the, the everything of the redemption when suffering will cease on this world, in this world when we will come into a place of face-to-face -face fellowship with God, when we never sin again. I long for that, but I rejoice in what I have already received. You can receive it too if you'll cry out to God, if you'll acknowledge your sin, if you'll acknowledge your guilt, take full responsibility and ask him to wash you clean, to give you a new heart and put your faith in the one who died for you. Confess that you believe he died for you and rose from the dead. If you'll truly cry out, God will meet you right now. You can let us know at AskDrBrown.org. Another program powered by the Truth Network.